That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Welcome to Hit Point Pals, where we gather to nerd out about video games and the culture of play. Rebecca's here. Rebecca's been doing some play recently. We'll talk about that. Will is also here. Will Hello. Suits here. Hello. And we're also joined by our, our friend Cam Call once again. Hello. And then we have a couple of special guests here that Rebecca has brought in. We're meeting them live on the show here. Um, Rebecca, we're talking with Lucas Burns, right? Yes. Lucas and Burns, yeah, and Ian Wall. Howdy. Cool. I remembered Hello. names. I'm proud of you. Welcome to the show. Uh, we Thank have you. we have these friends on because Rebecca, as well as Cam, are going to tell us about their finale to their D&D campaign, which lasted, you said, two years? Yeah, almost exactly two years. In October of 2016... Like actually right after the game ended. 2017? 2017, sorry. Somebody scrolled back to the end of the uh, the Facebook Messenger group chat that we were all in. And the first message was in October. So Wow. Yeah. So Rebecca and sometimes Cam, you guys give us fr pretty frequent D&D &D updates on this pod, which is always fun. So we thought it'd be cool to just talk about what it was like for you guys to wrap up this whole thing. Yeah. Um, I think we can just get started and like talk about the module that we were playing. Um, it's called Tomb of, Tomb of Annihilation. Um, it's one of the published fifth edition D and D modules that was released by Wizards of the Coast shortly before we started playing. Right? Yeah, I think I had just bought it and offered to run it for everyone. So I think it came out maybe a month or two before we started. Why did you decide to run Tomb of Annihilation? I mean, it was the newest one. It was right after I had truly gotten into D&D, you know, bought all the books and played enough to really know that what it was about and that it was something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, it features a pretty iconic D&D villain, which is uh, we can get into that later when we talk about the actual plot. But uh, yeah, it just seemed fun. I didn't really know much about, like, I couldn't tell you the difference between one module or another, or at least I couldn't at the time. So it seemed like a good idea. And that was really, there wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason to that one, just it was new and it looked cool. Give us a little setup for the group. So who organized the group? Who was the DM? How did, you, how did your group come about? Uh, we had a few people come and go as time went on but the core group of people who went start to finish were uh, rebecca lucas and ian and my uh my old neighbor alex and then eventually alex's girlfriend moved to new york so she stopped playing um my co-worker uh he got a new job and he had to stop and uh, we added a different neighbor dan and he was there for most of the campaign but not quite all of it why don't we let everyone say a few words about who their character was? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, do you want to start, Lucas? Sure, yeah, I guess we'll start with the, the start with your convoluted two. character. Yeah, start with, oh, good. yeah, tell us. Yeah, so when we first started, um, I played a, uh, a warlock. I don't, I don't know how deep we want to get into what a warlock is here. I, um, I think we know what a warlock is. I, I would hope so, <laughs> kind of. You know, 
Yeah, if you're listening to this and you don't know what a warlock is, look it up. Right. We've all seen one growing up. Like, it's no big deal. <laughs> They're everywhere. You probably have one in your backyard. Um, but I played as a Hexblade warlock who had made a um, made a pact with a powerful weapon um, who was a uh, uh, basically a, a righteous warrior from Canada um, <laughs> who was also a half angel. Um, he, uh, he actually stuck around for a while uh, and was kind of the de facto leader uh, for a long time before he eventually uh, got eaten three times in a session and then died of unrelated causes. <laughs> um, <laughs> then uh, I replaced him with uh, a wild magic sorcerer whose uh, whole shtick was um, being a being a changeling. He could change his appearance at will. Um and so he would go out on adventures uh, and come back to cities and sell books under a pseudonym. Um, and that worked out great for him until we made it to the tomb and he was forever trapped in the body of a genderless goat person. <laughs> it was a, that was weird for me to handle because the whole premise of a changeling, right, is you can change your appearance to look like any humanoid just kind of at will. Um, but then there's this trap, and when, what happens is when a character drinks from it, you roll your dice, and based on what you get, they get some random effect. Some were really good, some were bad, some were just kind of silly. So the the gender swap one, it says, you know, in the book, the character swaps, uh, they're now, they look like the opposite sex, which would have been fine for any other character. <clears throat> so... <laughs> Uh, I ended up ruling that you can still change your appearance, but uh, only to that of of women, of femme-presenting aesthetics, I guess. But then the goat thing happened, and I was like, yeah, you you just can't do that anymore. (laughs) It was just one of those happy accidents that all of the... uh, the, all of the uh, visually altering stuff happened to the most visually alterable character. Right. Other characters? Cam, did you have a character? Yeah, literally everyone else. So we have the characters that everyone's going to tell you about, plus the other player characters, and then the rest of them were me, because I was the DM. I ended up running three characters over the course of the campaign, because my two other characters died. Actually, all three of my characters died. Um, the first one was a elf war cleric named Xenophia. She was like very headstrong and stupid. She was really fun to play. Um, She ended up dying in battle trying to avenge um, her friend Morsok in a I guess a tomb? It was the same encounter that uh, initially killed Morsok and then the party you know ran away and came back to it and then Xenophia also died. The next time they tried it. Yeah, it was pretty rough. And then I had a um, another cleric. It was a grave cleric this time. Her name was Dahlia. She was a Shatterkai elf, so she had like she was all like dark and spooky and could like teleport and had fun racial abilities. Um, and then she died jumping off of a cliff. Um, off a staircase. Off a staircase and um, falling with a little too much fall damage and so that was really sad 
and embarrassing. <laughs> and then um, my final character was a half-elf um, College of Whispers bard named Svetlana. I've talked about her a lot on the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah and she um, went down in the, uh, the last encounter, was murdered by her former companions. I mean, it was yeah. much... Um, I don't know. It was it was definitely called for. Yeah, but, we'll uh, get into that yes. for sure. She deserved it. Definitely deserved it. And uh, Ian? Yeah, uh, I was the one to kill uh, Svetlana, or at least the last blow. Uh, Baco. This is a great character introduction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Baco lasted the entire time somehow. The only character to do so from yeah. session huh. one to the last one. Yeah, I... Uh, Baco was also, ironically, the squishiest, I think, of all of our uh, collective characters. Uh, An arcane trickster with two levels of wizard. Um, I think his ending hit points were 60. So, like, wow. Just not very much for how high level they were. Right. For being, what, level 11, I think, was the final thing? Yeah, we were level 11. Yeah, it. Anyway, surprising that he lasted, but he was a uh, arcane trickster Kenku, um, and uh, was kind of went under through like a lot of shit throughout the whole campaign, seeing all of his friends die. <laughs> uh, like throughout, I mean, throughout the whole thing, uh, everybody rolled up a different character, but then at the very last session, having them all die in a like end of Rogue One like uh, chase through. Uh, the tomb of annihilation as he barely escaped and is still alive as far as the canon of the uh, run goes. Um, he was kind of a uh, pretty lighthearted and silly, but then as it went on seeing all of these people die, he took things a lot more seriously and uh, was kind of like pushed into the role of a leader by several of the people, uh, which was pretty weird, um, but pretty cool to role play. You know, we spent probably a good several months in the actual tomb part of this campaign. It's just really dense with traps and puzzles. And there's, you know, a million little things to do in there. But the uh, the premise is basically that at the bottom of this tomb, there's some, you know, horrible evil that needs to be stopped uh, in the world of the campaign. There's this thing going on called the death curse, which prevents people from being uh, magically resurrected, which sort of in the world of D&D is a big deal. And then anybody who had been resurrected in that way in the past was sort of uh, wasting away and dying a little more day by day. So it's this big urgent problem that everyone needs to solve. And, you know, more or less the player characters are told, oh, it's somewhere out in the jungle and you, you know, hack and slash your way to the tomb through the jungle uh you learn as it goes on that sort of the main antagonist of the campaign is this lich called Aserarak, who is uh an iconic D villain that's been around since sort of the first iterations of the game and there's a lot of older content that features him as a as a boss and he is you know once again making an appearance here so what happens when you get to the bottom of the tomb is you find this device called the Soulmonger that's basically 
stealing all the souls from uh, from this plane of existence. You know, as people die, instead of their souls passing on to whatever afterlife, they get sucked up by this machine and fed to this horrible uh, baby fetus <laughs> thing that uh, Aserak has captured and is nur- nourishing on the souls of the dead there is this in the a, tomb. Is this like an ethereal machine? Is it just ever-present? Uh, no, it's like a literal device. Oh, so some, some guy's got a soul vacuum, and he's running around yes. sucking up souls. Yes, this okay. horrible necromancer undead wizard built okay. this crazy machine. Uh, and I think the, the idea behind this gross baby fetus, it's called an atropal in, you know, in the lore of the world. The idea is that it's sort of a, a god, a god baby, that I'm not exactly sure why it god got so baby. gross and why <laughs> the other gods aren't taking care of it. But uh, or that's why the, the other idea. gods aren't trying to like get it back? Yeah, it's because God doesn't want abortion, so they don't want to stop <laughs> it, but they just kind of let it go till term, right? Until a, a lich finds it, and it's yeah. But anyways, that's the cutoff. So I think the idea, right, is that a Sarak is trying to nurture this god baby into you know a full-fledged god that i i believe his intention is to use it as a weapon or something but uh really the campaign isn't intended to get that far you are intended to you know meet the baby as a baby and kill it then and destroy the soulmonger at which point a sarak shows up and you have this really big really difficult fight at the end Let's talk about the fight. Yeah, we can do that. So it starts with just your characters fighting the Soulmonger and the Atropal, which is not an easy fight. Um, the Atropal is a pretty significant enemy that can do a lot of damage, but it's really easy to kill. Uh, the Soulmonger is also a fairly difficult thing to destroy, and it's got like these tentacles that can hurt you as well during that fight. So... You know, at this point in the campaign, we had like six level 11 characters, which are quite strong at that point. So an encounter like this is, you know, difficult, but nobody's going to die, most likely, unless they roll really badly. I thought the the most difficult part was the fact that there was so much magical resistance. Yes. um, On like both the Atropal and the Soulmonger. Definitely. Um, And many of our characters didn't have magical weapons, which, you know... I guess we didn't find them or didn't weren't using them, so we had to mostly stick with magic. And I guess that was alarming because magic is like a finite resource in D anD D, and so you don't want to like use up all your spell slots because then you're just kind of like shit out of luck. What did um, uh, you, Lucas, and and Ian think about the Atropal um, encounter? I think the uh, the Atropal really posed a problem later once you get to the Acerarach part of the fight. Well, I guess if you get to it because it it has these these attacks that it'll do that um, they exhaust your character. So you end up um, you know, it, it's as if you had been kind of marching through the desert for a day at that point. You're slower you're worse at everything you know, you're basically your character is, is fumbling over themselves to do whatever they're trying to do which in most situations would be a a minor inconvenience Um, but once you're fighting this hyper powerful lich you realize that 
you know, only being able to move half your normal distance really kneecaps you uh, in some pretty critical ways when you have to dance between pools of lava and <laughs> run away from a man who can fireball you from across the map. Yeah, and I felt like skill checks were also a big problem. Or like it was harder to just like hop across or like do things that could have like led to creative problem solving. We had like a disadvantage with with the dice rolls. What we, were you gonna say, Ian? Well, I was gonna say that we, uh, looking at the lich fight afterwards, we like almost certainly didn't have a chance. Um, but if we had a chance, it would have had to have been on full health with all of our spell slots and with everything that we had where, you know, with the atropal going into it, we didn't know really anything about the situation. We had assumed a Sarerak would show up. Um, but even some of us had thought like, is this like a weird like version of a Sarerak that we didn't understand and we weren't sure. And so like I had wasted, I didn't, you know, being kind of multi-classed and the class that I was, I didn't have a ton of high level spell slots. I, in fact, I had two third and then the rest are lower. Um, and so I kind of wasted, it wasted is maybe a, a judgment, but you know, I had used my, uh, my fireballs uh, in that first fight. And then when it came to a Sarah I had literally nothing that could touch him. Like none of my stuff would do anything. So it was kind of a uh, knee capping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it bears mentioning that that the, it is kind of the point of this module but that final fight especially to be really really difficult that is one of the ways it's a callback to older editions of dungeons and dragons those are sort of famous for being like really hard and really lethal and a lot of characters you know don't make it out of sessions or certainly not campaigns so yeah Which it was sort of designed for everyone to die in the final encounter or for it to be really really close which it was and a big part of the tide's turning in that fight was the fact that Rebecca's character actually turned on the rest of the party kind of like three quarters of the way through. So I don't know if you want to set that up for us, Rebecca. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, Svetlana is an asshole. She's not a nice <laughs> person. I want to make sure that that is very, very clear. Um, and so I think she, she because she... Um, joined the party so much later and was kind of mean to everybody. They didn't trust her. And so I feel like she kind of got tired of them not trusting her and then decided to be more obnoxious and more in the way. Um, and then I think there were like a couple of like defining moments when she like lost all of her treasure and just was like, what is the fucking point of being in this place anymore? And then I think just like coming to the end and like seeing how powerful a Sarah actually was and just being like, yeah, fuck this. I don't really care. I'm just going to like join him because I'm sure there's going to be some cool like undead afterlife that I could be a part of. That's way better than just like dying in this dungeon and rotting there forever. Every Nobody saw it coming. And like, I knew this was going to happen because Rebecca and I had talked about it, but uh, nobody else in the party did. So it was sort of everybody looking at Rebecca in shock and being angry for at least a few minutes. Yeah, and then kind of what we do from there and how we uh, take that information and try to do something like before when she had kind of done some things that were sketchy, we were trying to kind of hold things together for the party's sake, you know, the us getting through this dungeon, but then it was like all bets are off. 
she's the new enemy now, and we're getting the heck out of here. Right. So I want to hear thoughts about um about the experience of ending the campaign, but I guess before we go there, tell us how the final encounter played out. How did this all get resolved? So nothing too crazy happened during the first leg of the fight. It was just sort of a pretty straightforward, you know, there's a gross floating monster baby and we kill that and we... And, you know, the soulmonger is on these struts that are above a pool of lava. So, you know, they were able to destroy the support struts and it fell into the lava. Um, It was when Aserak showed up that I think is really when the final fight begins. So, you know, he starts out, you know, just blasting people with these really powerful spells, which is kind of what a lich does. Uh, There were... Other mechanics in this game that uh, gave people a little bit more of an edge, you know, they're getting a lot of temporary hit points, uh, which was really the only way that this fight could possibly have gone anyway, except everyone dying. Um, So I actually expected people to go down a little bit easier than they ended up. Uh, So I expected them not really to get through, or at least a couple of them to go down during the first couple rounds of uh, spells, but they didn't. And so... My strategy after that was, okay, well, a Sarah can turn invisible and just kind of float around the room and shoot spells at people and not really take any hits. So we did that for a while, and that went on for several rounds, which, uh, you know, is probably a good 30 or 40 minutes in real life time, despite being, I think, like 25 seconds of in-game time, because the time in combat gets kind of weird. Um, and so that actually, I, f- I definitely felt that it was starting to drag on a little bit. So what we did was we actually took a break. Uh, a bunch of us like walked down to the corner store, like bought some beer and just, you know, got up, stopped playing. We'd been playing for like three or four hours at that point. Uh, cleared our heads a little bit and then resumed the fight, which is when I started with that uh, the time stop bullshit combo. And then the fight kind of got off to a more, it like went up in intensity a little bit. Um, And after that, it was still, you know, just people getting hit hard with big spells. Uh, The Svetlana betrayal happened pretty shortly after we picked the game back up. Uh, And that's when people started going down to the spells and when the tide really turned. Uh, Then everybody for the most part, decided they were going to run. They were going to walk through this misty portal that was on one end of the room and just kind of see wherever that put them, which put them in this kind of... It's actually not really intended to... The fight really isn't intended to happen in that last room, but you know it's always an option if people want to run away. So it's kind of this final encounter where you're trying to figure out how to get out of the tomb except now you're being pursued by this really powerful wizard. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we got there, and I was surprised that there was really even anything on the other side of that portal, I, I, or besides just, I don't know, hell? I, I have no <laughs> idea. I, I figured that he came out of this crazy portal. It was hard to say. Um, and I was, you know, like uh, Lucas had said, the exhaustion had uh, halved our movement speed at that point. So we were, it felt so stressful just moving across what was such a small room, trying to get to what we th- were hoping, we didn't even know, was <laughs> maybe an exit. 
while there were these Nothics chained to the wall and this this leather bag on an altar. It was so stressful to just be in that room. And then we went to this hallway at the uh, at the other end of the hall, which was very reminiscent of the Tomb of Horrors, which Lucas and I both played part of. And so when we got to that part, we were like, okay, we're fucked. And this may as well end now because this is terrible. Um, and then we had to like pick uh, four, one of four different paths. And then meanwhile, uh, we're getting chased still and a fireball goes off in the room killing or at least uh, putting several people down to the point where I believe it was just me and uh, Bruno or Dan's character Um, and then running and picking a door uh, which because of something I did I was the only one to go be able to go through the door and Dan's character gave me his bag pushed me through the door and then I went through a final maze Um, and because he gave me his bag, uh, you know, there's a couple other things that happened, but because he gave me his bag, I was able to leave the dungeon. Um, just completely super random thing. He didn't even mean to do this. He, he had this marble, this thing that was from earlier in the dungeon and it basically was a key to let me get out of the dungeon. And we totally did not mean for that to happen, but, uh, ended with me getting chased all the way out and, you know, seeing my friends basically get left behind, I getting pushed through a door by Bruno, sacrificing himself to kind of keep me going. Yeah, it was a pretty wild ending. Yeah, we we were talking, you know, after the session ended, because, uh, you know, it became apparent as we were playing that like, oh, it was Dan's character's bag that allowed uh, Ian to escape the tomb. And Dan was like, yeah, I had no idea. I just handed him the bag because it had all the loot in it. And I figured my character was going to die and he would want Baco, Ian's character, to have it. And yeah, it was just like, you know, it's just one of those things like every so often in D&D, like shit like that will happen. And it's nothing you could have ever written or prepared for. And it just works out. And I'm, I'm, you know, just for my own purposes and like i guess reputation as a dm i'm really glad that that's how it worked out because it's one of those things that's just it it was an incredibly like epic satisfying way to end a two-year-long campaign oh yeah 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 being an onlooker as as you know bako the only character to go start to finish makes it out of this you know nightmarish tomb is yeah like cam like you were saying something you can't write but also if you had written it i would i would call bullshit on it because it's you know it's too perfect but you know watching the character that basically became the protagonist go start to finish is just i think that's kind of the core of why you play D. we should wrap this up uh do you can you guys speak at all to the emotional catharsis of bringing this two-year thing to a close like what what did everyone take away from this experience oh man that's that's like i don't know it's it's impossible to even put into so many words i really like but what it what i guess like i've been thinking about the last couple days is just this is something that i can never um truly revisit uh much like any D campaign um and it is an experience that i am like you know to I don't know blessed I guess to to have been a part of and so lucky to have actually experienced in this way and 
really in any way. Um, I, it feels so good. And like a weight was immediately lifted off of me. Like the whole time I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to my character or to anybody or to the plot, but it felt so cool. I've never finished a game before. And this was, this was such a cool experience. Yeah. I feel similarly. Um, it was really cool to have the opportunity to make like choices and like be able to have like a, a party of, of people and like, I guess like over the table and in game to like be able to like trust them enough to make to I guess I knew they wouldn't hate me if I had uh, um, Svetlana betray them like I knew they'd be really really mad and that they would probably you know this this they would forever like grumble about what had happened but um, it was just really cool to be able to really explore all of the different sort of like table dynamics um, with having like a like an evil ish character, I mean, I guess definitely evil um, at this point, um, and that was just really cool because I feel like I like to play characters that are like good and nice because like that's what I care about, um, and so it was fun. It was a fun opportunity, and I'm really glad it's over, honestly, because I got really tired of Svetlana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So will there will, will there be more D and D in the future? Yes, definitely. I mean, we all have experience running, so that's a nice thing is that like I don't have to, you know, jump right back in to run the next campaign. So I think we're going to do a lot more shorter term stuff like one shots or, you know, two, three session games, probably mess around with some other role playing games, too, before we really try to dig into a new long term campaign. But yeah, we're we're all intending to play more D&D at some point. Well, very fun to hear about the end of this adventure. Uh, Ian and why am I? What, I just blanked. I had it. <laughs> Lucas. Ian and Lucas. <laughs> yeah, my and name also is Cam. Cam. <laughs> it was good to have you guys on. We're going to take a break when we come back. Uh, Rebecca, you'll talk to us about some games you've played. Will will talk to us about some games he's played. Uh, I'll say something about a game I've played. So we'll take a break. We'll play the theme song. And we're back, and so <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking. Uh, no, I, I'm sorry. I can't, just go, 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 go. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about the games we've been playing in this past week. Rebecca, you played a game called Greece. Yeah, I um, was. I don't know. I feel like I've seen it up on my like recommended on Steam many, many times because I like pretty games and this game is absolutely gorgeous. And I finally just like broke down and bought it on the Switch um, mm. because I thought it would be fun to do that. And I guess I hadn't realized that it was on the Switch. Otherwise, I probably would have bought it. I bought it. <laughs> I would have gotten oh. it. I would have bought it <laughs> um, like right when we first got the switch um but i just like wanted a, a, a game to play because like cam's been playing breath of the wild and i'm jealous because i want to have a game to play on the switch too so um i i got it and um it's sort of like a like a puzzle game there are levels and it sort of tells like a visual story about 
like grief and depression. It starts out and like everything is in black and white and there's like beautiful sort of like these like ink drawing watercolor things that are just like animated to look kind of like a film, honestly. And you just sort of like run around and you collect these stars and they get you to the next level. And as you progress, you like get more abilities um, and still collect stars and you know the puzzles are kind of interesting and different you're just sort of like jumping onto different platforms trying to move objects um time things correctly i guess that's all i sort of played through um it's a pretty easy game like it's not super challenging there's like no tutorial you're just kind of like dropped in to the world and um it's very linear so you're just either moving like left or right and then i guess when you jump up that's like the only time when you like go so it's a, vertically it's an artsy platformer mm -hmm. what did you think of the art because this game just got nominated for uh best art direction at the game awards which we'll talk about the game awards at the end of this podcast but I, thoughts on the art i thought it was absolutely gorgeous i feel like it's been i feel like because i'm sort of like I follow trends within the art world, and I think this sort of like kind of like minimalist, um, simple, like watercolor esque art style is just like really, really popular amongst like small illustrators. Um, and, and to see that just sort of like come to life in like this like interactive form was really cool. Um, the colors were just they were so stunning and i only was i was only on the red level i only did the black level and then i got to the red level and like that's all i had time for um but i'm just like so excited to see like what else it's going to look like um i think i'm more excited about that aspect honestly more than just like you know doing the game levels but when you said you only got to the red level is this like is this is, are these rainbow coded is this the red level is the first level and then you go orange and then you go yellow. Um, so like the I think my understanding is that like as you get higher, like more colors come back into the world. And so it starts out in like a black and white setting. Um, we're just like there's only, you know, white and then like sort of like the black blackness of like her dress and like blackness of like the various like environment pieces. And then um once you I guess complete that level and you move on into like the red area it's a very it feels like very like angry there's lots of these like great big storms that kind of like push you around if you like don't like turn your dress into a square which is what you have to do to like not do that um you like turn into like a big brick um but oh, okay. yeah and i don't know it's yeah it's just really pretty and I'm a slut for pretty games, so I'm really happy to have started it, and I'm just really excited to see where where it goes. Cool. You're playing this on Switch? Yeah, playing it on Switch. Cool. Grease on Switch. Uh, Will, what have you been playing? Uh, I have been playing a little bit of this game called Betrayer. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about it. Well, I thought about talking about it a few weeks ago, but decided I should probably play it a little right. more before I start saying yes. things. Um, it was a good idea. It's this very neat kind of, it's this game set in like 1600s, um, colonial New England, kind of based around like the Roanoke colony, how it kind of went missing. And it's like, oh, we don't really know why. Uh, you kind of just wake up mysteriously 
on the shores and you kind of have to piece together what's going on and what happened to the people there. Uh, the game is all black and white, um, which was really neat, and the only color that really shows up is red, so there's a lot of striking visuals, but the more I'm playing it, uh, the gameplay is pretty much just wander around finding little things that are just notes, and then you wander around until you can't find anything, then you go ring this bell, and then you enter like this nightmarish kind of like other world, and it's just a different, a variation of the place you're in, and then you do that until you've done everything and then you move into the next zone. It's kind of repetitive and a little... I don't know. I don't know if I will be finishing the game. Mm. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's about it. That's the, the game I've kind of been playing quite a bit of recently. Well, is this a new game? New. I think it came out in like 2014. And I've owned it since 2014. Yet I just, oh, It was classic, one of those games yes. I'd start and play an hour and then go, yeah. I'll come back to this later. And then it'd uh -huh. be like two years later and I'd do that again. So I've made it f the farthest of this time, and I feel like I shouldn't just stop, even though I'm not finding it the most entertaining. Because, God damn it, I need to be—I need to play this thing. Why do you feel like you need to play it if you if you're not enjoying it? Um, it's not so much just that. Like for most other games, oh, I would just—I drop it. This game has always been in the back of my mind because I've started it and then like stopped, and I've done that multiple times. And s there have been games where I've done that and then suddenly just like liked it i don't know if it's like self-inflicted stockholm syndrome or something <laughs> but you know i i don't know it's got some neat art and uh, i'd like to i'd like to see what more it has to offer cool uh, i played uh, well i've been playing more death stranding but what i'll talk about this week is i played through uh jedi fallen order i beat that game oh damn uh yesterday and I thought it was, or it might have been a couple of days ago. I don't know. I've lost all track of time. <laughs> but Jedi Fallen Order, I, I want to say it took me about just a little over 20 hours, I think, to beat this game. Wow. Um, I like to do a lot of poking. I don't feel compelled to be a completionist in games, but mm -hmm. I do like to poke around because there's some part of me that feels like it's kind of a waste to, to like not try to go through a bunch of the optional stuff. So that's typically my approach. So it probably took me a little longer than um if you were just trying to go straight through the game origin actually says i beat it in 19 hours so there you go ha not having had a good star wars game in so long i felt like i was going to like this game no matter what i ended up liking it a lot more than i even expected to um I, the the best way i can describe this game is uh story it's like a a, a really great uh star wars story for a video game um goes into some aspects of star wars that i think the movies have been too scared to goes off in some weird directions that i like it doesn't get weird enough for my tastes i think because uh and i talk about this a lot i always want star wars media to go off in good and unexpected directions that get away from hey it's the rebels versus the empire again um that like that i i think that's kind of the one of the main issues with people being fatigued about the films and not necessarily the um, the quantity of the films because you have such a like a vast established world and mythos to explore and all that people seem to want to do is just do shit with hey it's the rebels versus the empire and that is very tiresome and that is that has a presence in this game but it it digs into this period that is very interesting within the star wars uh mythos which is the immediate fallout of order 66 and so you play as this padawan 
uh, or you play as, yeah, I guess you play as this, this Jedi Cal Kestis who is, uh, he's, I want to say not undercover, but he's in, in hiding. He's working as like a scrapper on, on some planet and he's hiding his force abilities until some inquisitors show up who are the people who are out to kill Jedi. And he's been in this sort of exile for five years. And I felt I, by the end of this game, uh, there were so many little things about it. Like I could talk for a very long time, but I won't about the, uh, the droid BD one who is a, it seems to exhibit behaviors of like something between uh, a cat and like a parrot or something. But this is a very good droid, probably my favorite droid so far in all of star Wars, anything. Um, he, you have interactions with this character throughout the game that made me, uh, that, that I think made me somewhat emotional in which Cal, uh, seems to form an emotional connection with this droid in a way that you don't, in a way that most media tries to paint, but doesn't really get there. I think in this game, it does a really compelling job of making you feel something about a droid. Um, I, I also felt like this character was very compelling and reading through a lot of reviews of this game, that wasn't really something that other people seem to find. I think this was just more of like a, like a personal thing for me. Like there are certain types and like architects or archetypes, I should say of characters, uh, in, in media that I feel like I connect with over others. Uh, a lot of, a lot of media is about like gruff dudes or like middle-aged men like Red Dead Redemption which I, is like, I don't I don't typically connect with these characters or really feel much of anything for them. Uh, I found myself very emotionally attached to Cal throughout this game. And I, like, I ended up drawing weird thematic co comparisons to my life, I guess. Um, there are some thematic elements that they set up at the beginning of this game that kind of, I guess, set the stage for me to feel uh, like a like a really weird resonance with this character who is like young and is kind of been in hiding and uh kind of isolated himself after like a lot of things just went really wrong for him um struggling to like find a sense of purpose which is something that i like most people deal with i think and i've had to deal with that in in the past as well and so they they do a really good job i thought of building a narrative around that uh there's a really compelling sort of like like the classic uh high to low and then high again arc in storytelling where I, I will not talk about like specific narrative things in the third act but there is a part in the third act that i found worked was working really well for me um something that you don't typically see in star wars which usually focuses on a cast of characters in, in this story it was all about one character and i felt that was really effective and i hope that I don't know. I hope that other Star Wars media finds a way to do that in some way. Um, the 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 moment I was talking about is like he ends up in this place where it just seems like when everything that has possibly gone wrong has gone wrong, things somehow get worse. And there was a really cool, just like it utilizes something that you're familiar with in the mythos of star wars and like especially if you've played knights of the old republic this game has some this game has some direct connections to knights of the knights of the old republic which oh, i thought were really good yeah. and funny um there's there's a really good uh, like beat when he gets 
back like sort of all, he gets back up on the horse that i became very emotional about somehow that i something i didn't expect to happen from a star wars game um that like star wars is not Star Wars is something i find really cool but i don't usually find it effective at telling personal stories or anything and in this case i thought it did a really good job of that uh, maybe across the board of like people who played this game and had thoughts on it maybe i'm kind of an outlier um i i i know a lot of a, a lot of people who reviewed this game didn't seem to like didn't seem to like the main character very much uh, there were a lot of jokes that like yeah this this guy looks like he's from that show archie which <laughs> like reading that in every review got kind of old but also like i looked at a picture of this guy and i was like okay yeah now i can't unsee that whatever this is i suppose if you're familiar with archie and you were playing this game that would be really distracting um but performances i thought really compelling um just i guess a quick aside before I stop talking about Jedi Fallen Order, the uh, the mechanics of lightsaber combat. This is in a post Dark Souls world. Uh, the lightsaber combat is so satisfying. There are a lot of good boss fights that I found really satisfying to uh, figure out how they worked. And like, it's not this game isn't as punishing as Dark Souls. It's very like Dark Souls light. There's also some mechanics that I, I find very questionable, like, for instance, in Dark Souls, you're an undead being who is repeatedly killed and is sort of stuck in this cycle. In Jedi Fallen Order, they rip off this mechanic, but there's literally no explanation for it. Like, you're not an undead being, you're just some dude, but you keep respawning, and so I found that very goofy. Um, made me want, like, made me want weirder star wars games it made me want a game that is actually dark souls set in star wars like i give me a game where you're like a force being and you wake up in this weird purgatory and you had to fight like wacky star wars uh critters and like demons and all sorts of cool shit that's not what this game is it just made me want that as <laughs> i was trying to dissect the the like the awkwardness of the dark souls structure in a world that is very like classic and and sci-fi and and narrative friendly um those are my thoughts on jedi fallen order i uh liked the game a lot it was one of my favorite games i've played this year and there were a lot of good games that i've played this year so um didn't see any um didn't see any nominations at the game awards which i think that's okay, I guess. Uh, this is I'm trying to segue into thoughts and prayers now because my thoughts and prayers were on the game awards, which have a I noticed um, an interesting attitude towards indie games. I think in which Will and I were looking at the uh, the list of nominees uh, yesterday, and there's just so many interesting categories. We talked art direction was a was a cool category. Art direction had control nominated, which I think is is very deserving of of that uh we mentioned greece was in that category i haven't played that but it looks like a very gorgeous game other games in that category were like there was death stranding there was uh death stranding is in every category i think seems I th like it I, wow. don't, I don't understand uh i've been enjoying this game but i i i hmm <laughs> uh i don't man i don't i don't know uh game of the year was a very weird category game of the year had some games that I don't quite understand why they were in there, and uh, they are all AAA games. There's a separate category for best indie game, which is a, a bit like there's so much transparency there 
uh the game awards is supposed to be this like the like the oscars of video games at this point it didn't always used to be like that it used to be something something else right it used to be something that we've watched a lot of clips of will yeah where it used to be i I mean the guy hosting it he used to host this other game show called the spike game awards the spike video game awards and it had some weird categories in like the early 2000s like uh and, and you'll love this one um best games best cyber vixen yep Ooh. yeah <laughs> i mean, I mean when, when i play video games you know i hey come on solitaire <laughs> shit ain't got a vixen in it i don't play that <laughs> i'm looking for games uh, with the best cyber vixen it's just best, yeah. best wireless game was something oh, we yeah. got we tripped up on that we were so we were i don't remember what started us on this path but we were just looking at past game awards and mm-hmm. And we were thinking about different years, and we kind of fell into this hole of like, well, uh, this year was a good year for video games. What, like, what won in this particular category? And we stumbled across something called Best Wireless Game, which took us several, I think, a, probably not several hours, but a good chunk of time to figure out what the hell that meant. Yeah, and what does that like, mean? <laughs> it's okay. Yep. So when when we would hear wireless now, I was thinking like, well, that sounds like portable because it's like yeah, but this know, was like 2003. Yeah, and and we had to go like back in time to like the vocabulary of the back then, <laughs> and it was like, oh, it's games you play on your fo- on your wireless uh, phone on your Nokia yeah. on your wireless what phones? <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, best game from like your wireless carrier, and it was just like wow, that is a, that's something that does not exist in any form now. Wow, that's so crazy. But yeah, for the for the Game Awards this year, um, I know Game of the Year had uh, Game of the Year had Control. It has Death Stranding. It has the Resident Evil Two remake. Uh, it has Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. The Outer Worlds. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's one that I trip up on because the uh, the Outer Wilds should be on this list, but the Outer <laughs> Worlds is is a very good game that uh, that I think is incredibly forgettable. Um, really Oof. didn't do a lot for me i i'm i'm still trying to get back around to now that i'm done with jedi fallen order i can probably try to blow through to the end of the outer worlds but it that's a game that's like it's so solid but it's it's just another game um because we've had a lot of games like this and i don't feel like it should be on this list uh super smash brothers ultimate which came out last year so that's hmm. just a, a head scratcher um and then yeah there's a whole separate category for for indie games which i think is frankly bullshit and i think several of those nominees should just be in the regular game of the year category um those are my thoughts on the game awards i think does anyone else wanna does anyone else have thoughts on the game awards jedi fallen order or does anyone want to talk about their own thing i've talked for a bit um well oh oh, sorry no you go Ah, okay um my thoughts and prayers this week are um about this creator on TikTok that I follow, I think, I don't remember what their name is, like Parker James or something like that. And the content that he, that he puts out, I think he's just like some like high schooler, but um, has like this, I think it's him, um, but it's, it's this character called Steven and Steven has like a stupid face filter on and does a lot of like dumb voices and a lot of screaming and i do not know what it is about these videos but i think they are fucking hilarious and i like they will like pop into my head just like randomly and i'll have to like giggle about it 
<laughs> and then I have to, you know, come back to reality. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just really tickled by this like really like wholesome, like stupid ass content in my life. Yeah. I like TikTok content. It's very confusing. It is. But it's a lot. I mean, I feel like it's, it's so, I'm, I'm like intrigued and entertained so much at the same time that you just like, you get sucked into those like rabbit holes when you're just like, oh shit, it's been like an hour. I need to like go make dinner now. <laughs> uh, Will, do you have any thoughts and prayers for us? Uh, some some news in my life um i got accepted to a graduate studies program and i was like very cool fuck hell yeah yeah hell yeah i was so hyped uh now i'm kind of having some visa troubles and maybe some mm. financing issues so that the, the the high i hit when i got that acceptance letter is come down to like a hmm um i might try again next year and just like keep working and save up some money so that I'll be in a better standing if I'm unable this year. Uh, so my thoughts and prayers are, my thought is, damn, my prayers are, <laughs> I hope this works out. Um, but yeah, you know. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of pressure when like, um, the, just like the cyclical nature of the education system and how it's like things start at a certain time. Dude, but that shit. Oh, <laughs> oh It's like. I wish we could go back to like some ancient Roman or medieval time where he just get a tutor and then yeah, he's like, yeah. all right, you are now a learned scholar rather yeah. than like, listen, we can offer you a deferred admission, but you can reapply in 12 months. And it's like, ah, yeah. my life, like my, my life, we live our lives day by day, like, like moment by moment. And then mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you want to continue your education? That's really good. You're gonna have to wait a year. I get why it is, but I wish it wasn't the way that it is. That sucks. Where, um, where, where did you get accepted? I got accepted to the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Oh, that's yeah, cool. I applied internationally because it's so cheap to go overseas compared to, you know, in country or in state, let alone in the United States. Yeah. It's like you could do a semester here or you could do a year long masters here and I was like, "Yep, I'm I'm leaving the country. I'm out." <laughs> and like you're having trouble with like visas? Yeah, I'm part part of it I, I think is kind of like my own fault with like looking up visa stuff earlier, but like visa processing is going to take a while and I need a specific written letter and I need them to I need the school to send it up to me, which shouldn't take too long, but they have to process all that and you have to request it, which I did. Mm -hmm. And so I have to wait for the post and then I get to get all this stuff together. Then I have to go apply for a study visa in person at the consulate, which means I need to fly to LA and then do that and then wait like six to eight weeks for them to come back with a response well, to process the visa. And then I have to pick it up in person. So then I have to fly back and it's oh, like, oh, that's a, that's a lot, a lot of, of money in person appearances. It's a lot of money spent tr trying to get a visa. Yeah. yeah. I um, mean, I feel like, Everyone I know who's gone abroad for grad school um, has successfully been able to secure a visa. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah, they yeah. aren't all in South Africa. Uh, my, Most of my them have been like, like Canada or in like Europe. So a little bit different. But my concern isn't so much like, oh, I won't be able to get a visa. I, I, I will be able to. Um, my, my thing is, well, maybe not be able to do. But my thing is, 
the application and so stuff, I had to wait a while for some other government things to come through. And then I sent my application a bit later than I would have liked. So my problem isn't that I won't be able to get a visa. It's that the time to process the visa might go a bit too long and I'll like go too far past the uh, start date of um, oh. classes. And so it's like, shit, I got accepted. But, you know, but at the same time, it's like, well, that's a bummer. But if I can't go, I'll try again next year. And since I don't have to do a bunch of this other government stuff, I can get my application in as soon as they open up applications. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. You know but what that means? You can uh-huh. spend more time on the podcast. That's right. I get to spend more time on the podcast. And I, you know, I can talk about all my favorite things. Uh, I like hedgehogs. I like the color blue. I'm, I'm so excited. We're going to be doing a special Sonic Hit Point Pals episode when the movie comes out and we all go see it uh, in IMAX. I don't have any desire to see that movie. That's right, Travis. You're going to be front row, which is like the worst way to see a movie. You're going to be front <laughs> row looking straight up, passed out. Uh, to see the latest redesign of Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, uh, as people on Twitter have said, it's our duty to, to, to see this movie now that they've changed the design, right? I mean, we owe it. We, we owe it to the company. That's such a wild that. take. That's such a wild take. I know, and I've been seeing it like all over the place. And I saw, I'm not sure if it was uh, you, Rebecca, or Travis who had put that in the, in the stray notes. Uh-huh. That one tweet about like, what some somebody retweeting someone else's thing about like wow we have to see this movie oh the original tweet is deleted now oh really (laughs) good but also just like oh my gosh it's so goofy that's like hey guys this shitty movie got a redesign i mean it's our job as fans to see it it's like fans of what a movie that's not even out about a blue hedgehog that hasn't had the the trailer came out and everyone said something that was true which was this character looks like shit Especially as an adaptation of this like <laughs> classic cartoon character, and they piled on it so hard that I guess the studio felt compelled to redesign this character. That I don't understand why that means that people now need to see it. How does that? How, where does the translation <laughs> I process? Think, I don't know. I think I don't. I feel like because people think like companies and brands are your friend. They're like, oh, because we as a, I guess, as a fan community asked for this, we owe it to the brand to like follow through and make sure it doesn't flop or something like that. Oh, yeah. I've seen some like stuff where it's like, wow, I can't. Can we just all take a moment and appreciate that this company listened to the fans and it's like maybe they just listened to like the audience they're targeting and realized maybe if by, by spending this like certain amount of money they could guarantee like more seats more ticket sales like i don't know most like i mean i feel like it's just like months and months of like additional like free publicity as we're all talking about it you know yeah and i mean i highly doubt you know any executive who's signing off on the millions required to redo this was like no we must save my beloved blue hedgehog for i am doing this for altruistic reasons i want this to be a truly great artistic rendition of the hedgehog himself I mean, I feel bad for, like, all the people who are, like, on and had to, like, go through and, like, redesign the, the Sonic because, like, I feel like that that's just got to be a drag. The people who had to stare at this gross, like, emaciated humanoid hedgehog had to go and redo it. Yeah. All, oh. <laughs> and then go back and redo just, like, the whole thing all over again. I don't know. Just, I guess I want the 
people who were like on the creative team to not feel like that was a huge waste of time. But that's because mm-hmm. like they are already overworked and underpaid, I imagine. Um, and, you know, it sucks that, that they had to do this. But I don't actually care about <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog or this stupid movie. I hope that the movie has a single frame in it somewhere where it accidentally has the old animation. Just something <laughs> yes. in the pipeline didn't render properly, and there's just a single frame that one in 30 people will see and go, wait, what? Wait? I'm scared uh, now. I love that, yeah. I hope one in every 200 theaters gets the original version of the movie. <laughs> Ooh, so there's just like, like some the, big mix-up in like the distribution. There's a big mix-up. Yeah. Gosh. You know, a movie that I'm really excited to see Sonic. is Cats. Oh. Speaking of emaciated looking things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. 100%. Like, I think that looks like I would rather just see this, the like the actual thing. It's on stage. I'd rather just see a cat. I'd rather <laughs> just look at In a cat. In the first trailer that came out, there is a cat played by a uh, rum tum tugger, I think played by or someone played by James uh, Gordon. And his and yeah. he says, "Here we go." <laughs> he says that in the trailer, and I like I was dying. I I sometimes think of that from that first Cats trailer, and I don't know why I find it so entertaining. <laughs> it's just this gross, fat fucking human cat saying, "Here we go." <laughs> I oh, ooh. it's good. It's good stuff. It's seriously like the greatest thing. No, it's not Rum Tum Tugger. That's Jason Derulo cat. I don't know. Oh, Jason Derulo! Yeah, Jason Derulo the cat. I can't remember who, which cat is the one that says, here we go, in the trailer. But whatever. That's all I had to say. Oh my gosh. I'm just so excited because it seems so surreal and ridiculous and I don't know. I wish this was more surreal. I wish this was like a Terrence Malick film or something. If this, yeah, if this was done by like a surrealist director or just a surrealist artist in general, oh, I'd be so on board. Yeah. But see that several times. so far i have no interest in seeing jason derulo cat and here we go well i'm excited about it when you after you see the movie please let us know oh definitely if you thought it was good or we bad should, or somewhere in, is in there, between is there another movie is there any other movie coming out with like animal creatures sonic other than sonic and cats any is there any movie coming out with animal creatures with um, animal creatures I just said animals or creatures, but I guess I combine them. I mean, Star Wars movies have creatures. Damn. I was hoping there'd be a third so we could each, we would each watch one of these films with a, with gross beings. And then we would (laughs) meet up again on the the podcast to talk about. I mean, Lion King came out But that would just be a very fragmented conversation if everyone only has one opinion on one thing and we haven't seen the others. My all vote right, is we, that we, we all go see cats. Not right, we all Sonic. have to go. N- 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 I say we all go see both. <laughs> I say we all so go you see, see both. What? Oh, both. Yeah. Fair enough. And Travis, you have to uh, record yourself watching the film you have no interest in seeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I sat through Gemini Man somehow. <laughs> I almost wanted to leave at many points, but. <laughs> I sat through the 120 frames per second Gemini Man, so I can probably sit through Cats. At least the dancing will be cool in Cats. That's true. And at least with Cats, you know, there will be some visuals where I'll go, wow, what a mess, but also how interesting. 
And like just the the soundtrack. I don't know. I feel like Cats is just really fucking. It's just iconic. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like so many power ballads. Like I'm I'm excited. There's a documentary on Cats called Keddy. Oh, Will and oh, I were yeah. re- reminiscing about YouTube uh, Red, right? YouTube. Uh, it's called YouTube Premium. No, it used to be called YouTube Red. Yeah, it used yeah. to be called YouTube Red, which was a good name. And they were like, we have eight exclusive things that you can watch on YouTube Red. There are probably more than eight, but it felt like there were only eight. And that's not a thing anymore. Not no, surprisingly. But they used to have they used to have the exclusive rights to this documentary called Keddy, which is about street cats in Istanbul. And I really enjoy that documentary. Not necessarily that it's good or anything, but there's just a lot of cats in it, so uh I I I recommend that. I would rather watch that than cats. Is <laughs> what I'm cats. saying. I'd rather just rewatch that, Kitty. That, that, that's fair. That's fair. I'd say <laughs> that is fair. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Do we want to? Hang on, I'm getting weird interference. I have an aversion to cats because I'm allergic to them. So I'm af- afraid I'll probably like just die watching the cats movie because the cats will be so realistic. It'll be like I'm in a room with humanoid cats. I hope there's the one frame in cats where the hair simulation the, didn't get rendered properly in the pipeline and they're just like... They're just nude? <laughs> just skinless cats? I mean, skinless? No. Oh, shit! Oh, that'd be horrifying. That'd be cool. Oh, jeez. I hope Jason Derulo cat comes out and um, sing, sings one of his Jason Derulo cat songs. Jason Derulo. Do you think he'll do the thing? Do you think he'll he'll sing the thing? Jason Derulo. I hate Jason Derulo, though. How could you hate yeah. the man who is now being a cat who once sang about how your booty's like two planets? Go ahead and go ham sandwich. sandwich. He has that. He has that one song with the saxophone. That on top of being annoying, there's like incredibly racist stuff in that song. Mm-hmm. There's the um, there's the Asian lady who is just like oh, a weird oh, racist Asian stereotype. Travis, what is racist about having an Asian woman on screen say, ha ha, I don't understand. I don't know. Like you tell me. hardcore. Oh, what the fuck was the name of that song? I don't know. I, I said it's the saxophone song. I don't remember the name of it or what it was about. I can't even remember the lyrics. Those are what the I, two things I remember about it. There was the racist woman. And, or <laughs> well, hold on. I mean, she wasn't racist. There was the racist portrayal of a woman. And there was the saxophone. Anyway, is is that all we have? I think this so. Episode? You I think, think so. so. Okay. Very cool. Remember to remember to like, comment, and subscribe. I don't remember what we say at the end of these episodes anymore. I've been meaning to rewrite it. Um, Probably just thank you for down. watching so, the Hit Point Pals. Thank this you for podcast tuning is in. sponsored by Jason yeah. Derulo, the cat. And go no. see cats in theaters soon. Go see cats if you want to. Uh, and fuck Jason Derulo. Oh. Here's the canned outro. Oh, you found it. <laughs> I found it. Do you want to do it? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for joining us this week on Hit Point Pals. You can find all of our episodes on the web at hitpointpals.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash hitpointpals. Please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're enjoying our weekly chats, give us a shout out. Let your friends know. Hit Point Pals is a collaboration between me and... William Suit and Travis Lean. <laughs> Very cool. Who also? Oh, okay, whatever. I got <laughs> fucked up because there was yeah, my name a, there, and I was actually, like, "Wait, what?" This is a very old outro. Yeah. 
a classic. Great. This is great. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. say on the record you did a fantastic job yes i, I am disappointed we never got to see uh, a Sarak take control of his full power through the soul monger and release goo a Sarak on us <laughs> um, a Sarak uh, too uh yeah electric googaloo <laughs> yeah i was definitely uh lost at certain points but i feel but like you get I, the idea no i yeah i definitely <laughs> got the idea and i got everyone's like uh i guess emotional takeaways i think for the most having part. So played the game i was lost a little bit so you know yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah yeah it was there was <laughs> a lot going follow, on for sure it was it was complex especially trying to explain like I, you know, obviously there's so much that I didn't say, but explaining to like my mom that my character was a, a werebore as well now, oh, yeah, you know, that kind of thing was that. just yeah. too much to say into one one sentence. I can't even explain the looks I got when I told my coworkers I was playing a genderless goat person. Like <laughs> I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut at work about this now. Even for people that play D and D, there's yeah. some like wild shit that went on in this campaign. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, well uh, thanks, guys. Cool. I really appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming, thanks on. coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Um, how how, so how you just do you wanna, want the like, uh, audio recording sent? Can you uh, upload it to anything that transfers files and then just put the link somewhere in the Discord? I know you don't have the host channels, but you can put it, I guess, in like general or something, and I'll grab it from there. Can do. Awesome. Sweet deal. And I'm just expecting one audio file, right? Uh, yeah. It's, do you want like an Audacity like project? Do you want it downcoded to an MP3 already? No, you're yeah, you're gonna have to export it as an as an MP3. Okay. Um, it should preserve channels. Uh, we're each on one in case you need to, you know, okay. clip part of us being idiots. No, that's perfect. Cool. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk yeah. to you guys later. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna head out too. So okay. Can you also turn the heater down so it doesn't keep turning on? Yes, I will. Don't let things get too hot. That's right, and the the ambient noise, the fan. All right, see you, everybody. Okay. All right, see ya. My Discord is. I can't. I can't leave the room. Do you have to kick me out of the room? You're trapped now. Oh shit. (laughs) I can. I'm not trapped in Uh, here with you. And I'm about to disconnect you. Goodbye. Bye. All right. Wow. Should we keep moving? Yeah, I think we should keep moving because uh, we'll ha- you have to leave, right? Yeah. Well, okay. not not just yet, but yeah, we should we should probably just keep moving unless it, unless right. anyone needs a break. I mean, then do that. Everything's fine. I think. don't want anyone to.
lose bowel or bladder control in the midst of reporting. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. I don't think you suddenly lose control. I don't know. All right. Here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna toss to Rebecca's game first. I think. Okay. Oh yeah, game. Oh geez. 